0: Well, it is a great joy to be with you today. I was thinking back to my experience of Grace Church over the years, and I realized that the first time I came was more than 30 years ago. I was imported down from uh, Virginia at that point to speak uh, at a group interested in getting small groups started in the congregation. It was the first time I'd ever been in Florida. I had no idea that I would be spending much of my life here. So many things I could relate to on through the years. Uh, confirmations, ordinations, um, recently uh, Jessica's ordination, uh, and then the privilege of being with uh, Mike and his family uh, in Israel uh, back in June. We had a great time together, and I really can't tell you about it. Uh, no, it was, it was, it was great, a, great, uh, a great time to be sharing together. So it's a privilege to be with you today with all that's going on. What a, what a wonderful day. I had an experience earlier this week of meeting a, a woman who uh, was a, uh, at, at a church in the area, and um, I asked her what her church background was, and she explained that her father had been the pastor of a particular, uh, I might add, non-Anglican church, and that things had blown up somewhere or another. She didn't go in the, into the details. Um, and that, I said, well, how's your father doing now? And she said, well, he doesn't go to church anymore. He's not a part of a body of Christ anymore. And it raised a question for me. Why do Christians drop off the map? People who were at one point passionate for Jesus, but are now just Slogging through life. Why are we tempted to give up or to stop growing in the faith? Why do we get discouraged and confused as believers in Jesus? And the language from the Hebrews passage, Hebrews twelve, this morning, it uses these words. Why are we weary or faint-hearted? What what causes that? I'd encourage you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Again, it's on page 1008 in your pew Bibles. Rather than talking about other people and where they may get discouraged or they may be confused, let's apply this to ourselves. What discourages you? What gets in your way in uh, living out the Christian life? I realized as I was preparing for this morning that one of the things that's happened to me because of the press of various things going on in my life, I'm sure, that I don't sing as much to the Lord as I used to on my own. Maybe that's true for some of you. Where are you discouraged? Years ago, Winston Churchill, when he was prime minister in England, went to visit his boys' school. Harrow, it was called. It had been one year into the war. It had been a very discouraging time. And he came to try to give them hope, give them encouragement. And in the midst of that speech, he used what are famous words. He said, never give in. Never give in. Never, 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 never. In nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in. But we as Christians are tempted to give in, just as the British during World War I, particularly in the first few years, were very tempted to give up. So what I want to look at this morning is some causes of discouragement here in chapter 12 of Hebrews. It might be argued that this is the Scripture's never give in passage. And I can't look at everything here. I really encourage you to dig into Hebrews 12. It's a remarkable chapter. But one of the causes of discouragement is that we can play to the wrong audience. Tim Keller uh, gives the example of a man who'd had an affair, apologized to his wife, apologized to his uh, family, his Christian brothers and sisters. He really uh, knew that God forgave him, but he could not forgive himself. Finally, Keller said that he, sort of digging into the situation, was trying to figure out what's going on in this man's heart. And the man said, my parents are dead, but I know if they were here, they would never forgive me. He was playing to the audience of his parents, more so than he was, in a sense, to the Lord. Well, we can often play to the wrong audience. We may have expectations of others, uh, in addition to expectations of ourselves. And we're playing to them all the time. And if they're the wrong expectations, we can get in deep discouragement as Christians. But here in, cha- in chapter 12, verse 1, the writer reminds us of who we're playing to. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. What, what witnesses? Go back to the previous chapter. Heroes of the faith uh, that are listed there. People who had uh, great redemptive rescues and people who uh, died uh, being faithful. No rescues at all. Those are the people we should be understanding around us. And the implication here is because we're running a a race in, in this passage, is that they're in the stands cheering us on. But in addition to that encouragement, the writer also reminds us to focus on Jesus. Play to him as Uh, the one who matters, the the audience. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Other translations say the author and finisher. The idea is Our faith didn't begin with us. God came after us. He showed us who he was through Jesus. Jesus starts the process in us. You didn't become a Christian out of the blue. He was sending you uh, messages over and over again, arranging your life circumstances so that you would finally recognize him. He's the author, the beginner, the creator of your faith as well as the overall faith. But he's also the perfecter and boy do we need perfecting. Sometimes translated the finisher or the completer of our faith. We're not, it's not up to us to do it all by ourselves. Jesus is helping us as we grow in the faith. We need to look to Him. Our focus needs to be on Him. I had an experience uh, years ago now, I was leaving uh, a rehearsal dinner for a wedding uh, that I was going to be performing the next day. I went up to a light um, on San Jose Boulevard uh, to take a left turn waiting there in the left turn uh, line and I got, I looked in my rearview mirror and saw this car racing up and he smashed into me. And he got out of the car and I'm not making this up, I couldn't make this up, uh, and he came over to talk to me and in his hand he was holding his iPod He'd clearly been looking for the next song. Now, I didn't want to go into that with him, but I'm pretty sure that he did not have his eyes in the right place when he hit me. He was looking at something else. He was distracted. So what are you looking at? What is guiding your thinking? What are you focused on? If you're not looking to Jesus, if you're focused on something else, there will be a crash in your Christian life. It matters where we're looking. We need to be looking at the right audience it's those who've gone before us in the faith, and especially Jesus. But the other thing that can cause a damage for us is to have the wrong expectations of what the Christian life should be like and to focus on how things are going in our lives. And what the author says is what are your expectations? What do you think the Christian life is going to look like? Do you think it's all going to be smooth sailing? Do you think God's going to put everything together for you? He says, you know, when you look at Jesus, look at his life and recognize that your Christian life may look something like that. So verse 2, who for the joy that was set before him, and we do have joy set before us. We do have the hope of heaven. But look what happened to him. He endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. He's describing the world around us, a world full of sinners like us that are going to make our lives difficult as well as making their own lives difficult. It's not going to be an easy path. The Christian life is not one happy event after another. Good things happen, and we have ahead, hope ahead of us. But what are our expectations? If our expectations are wrong, it will be easy to get discouraged. Well, then, what is God doing in tough circumstances where they will come our way? He's working on our character. Verse 10. He's disciplining us. It says, He disciplines us for our good. But look at the definition of good here that we may share in His holiness. That's good from God's point of view. We have all sorts of definitions of what we think a good life would be a success in a career, success in a family, good health, all of those things. But God's focused on making us more like Himself, making us more like Jesus. That we may share, not just in his holiness in some sort of theological sense, but we may actually be changed in our character. In addition to parental discipline, we also see uh, the language of athletics. Uh, Back in verse 1, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That image alone should tell us that it's not going to be easy. And Going back to the discipline image, it says, For the moment, verse 11, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. In other words, God is allowing circumstances, difficult circumstances, to change us. Now, that's not to say that wrong things don't happen to us or tragedies don't happen to us or that God is somehow uh, doesn't care when we're going through difficult times and our hearts are broken. No, no, no. But it is saying that in the midst of those, God is also doing something else. Years ago, we had uh, vans in our driveway, workmen in our house. If you'd come into the house, you would your first reaction would be, what are they doing? They were putting holes in the walls, holes in the ceilings, uh, holes in the floors. Uh, You would have guessed that their job was to be the demolition team for our house. That might have been your first impression. But the reality is, they were re-plumbing our house. I don't recommend it if it's not necessary. (laughs) But God is in the midst of replumbing us, of radically changing us. And there's going to have to be some demolition in our lives in order for us to grow into the character of Christ, in order for that to happen. So one thing that discourages us is, is if we're playing to the wrong audience. Another one is if we have the wrong expectations of what the Christian life, what God's deepest purposes really are. And then finally... I'll put it this way, we could be holding on to the wrong rights. There are two rights at the end of this passage that will deeply hurt our Christian walk. The right to bitterness is the first one. It talks about a root of bitterness growing up. But how does that happen? It's because somebody hurts us, deeply hurts us, betrays us, uh, makes our life miserable one way or another and we decide in our heart of hearts I just will never forgive them and a root of bitterness starts growing up and when people say you know you've got to get past these you go you don't understand what they did to me and we just let that root grow and grow we have a right to be bitter that's what we tell ourselves There's another right here, a right to sexual fulfillment. And we're in a culture that's telling us that we all have a right to sexual fulfillment any way we want. Interesting article recently I read, uh, somebody talked about this term. He said, there are lots of Christians in American churches that are sexual atheists. And what he meant by that is that they believe God will tell them a lot of things about how to live their lives except their sex life except staying within the bounds of marriage. When it gets to that issue, they don't believe God really is alive, or is speaking, or cares. And we're in a culture of sexual atheism. And we believe that we have, according to the culture, it's certainly not in the scriptures, we have a right to sexual fulfillment. And this passage warns us that that will leave us without Blessing. Now, there are other rights that can hang us up. And I'll close by thinking about the story of Joseph. You remember the story of Joseph in Genesis? He certainly had the right to his brother's love, but instead of receiving it, they sold him into slavery. Once he's a slave and is in Egypt... He's doing a wonderful job in the household of a man named Potiphar. And he had a right to be honored for his service and his integrity. But instead, he's falsely accused and thrown into prison. And then while he's in prison, he interprets a couple of dreams for prisoners there. They turn out to be proper interpretations. And they promise him that he will be remembered when they get out but he's forgotten. A right to be remembered, but forgotten. Even though his brothers didn't love him and he had a right to their love, even though he was falsely accused when he had a right to honor, even when he uh, was forgotten when he had a right to be remembered, even in the midst of all that, the Lord loved him, the Lord honored him, And the Lord remembered him. And of course, in the end of the story, Joseph is used to not only rescue his own family, which sold him into slavery, but he rescued his accusers, and he rescued at least one of those who had totally forgotten him. Be careful about what rights you think you have. You see, we as believers have the best possible right, the only right that really matters. John one twelve it says, But to all who did receive him, who received Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's not a right we earned. It's a right that's uh, been bequeathed on us. But nevertheless, it's the only right that really matters in the long run. Be a child of the loving God. In Ephesians, Paul says this as to how he uh, would want us to experience who we are. He says, To have the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Did you catch that? The riches of his glorious inheritance. You've been given an inheritance because you've been adopted into the family of God of everything God has for his children. A right that should sustain you in the midst of other rights being disappointed. But is there a wrong right that you are holding on to you that the Lord would have you drop? So finally, I want to say to the confirmands and those being baptized today and to all of us, play to the right audience. The saints who've gone before us and to Jesus especially. Focus in running in the right direction, on running toward Jesus, looking to him. Have the right expectation of what God is doing in your life. He is fashioning your circumstances to make you more like Jesus. And finally, rejoice in the richest of rights that by the mercy of God you can be his beloved child. Out of his love for you he has adopted you because of the work of Jesus on the cross. And that's the only right that matters. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you for this powerful challenging passage that speaks directly into the days of discouragement confusion that we have in our lives we ask that by your holy spirit we would understand what you're up to and most of all that we would be rejoicing no matter what in being your children in jesus name we pray amen and now it's that-